Uh, thank you, Alexander, for this nice introduction. Uh, you pronounced my name right, you pronounced Baron Noir right, so I was very impressed with both. Um, so I thought of two possible ways that I, I could um, introduce this speech. The first one goes like this. It is so nice to be here with you all today in this place which philosopher and theologian Florence Connery chose to establish St. Anthony's College in Leuven, where priests learned alongside lay people. To this day, knowledge and wisdom still pervade these walls. Uh, the second way goes like this. Um, I have a very distinct memory of the last time I heard of Leuven before this, uh, this event. It was my first, on my first day on my job as a speechwriter to the Prime Minister. Um, so I was called into his office. He was uh, preparing an official trip to Belgium. Leuven was one of the stops. Um, I was replacing another speechwriter. Uh, who had written all the speeches for that trip, and before leaving, he had given a copy of those speeches to the Prime Minister, but not to me, <laughs> which left me in the very uncomfortable position of being in the Prime Minister's office, having no idea what he was talking about when he said, and I remember this distinctly, the Leuven speech is no good. So this is what I remember being here today. <laughs> so of, of these two openings, uh, opening remarks, one is very French, the first one, the one that is very architectural, historical, and overall boring. Uh, the one that is more witty and personal is decidedly not French. Um, a lot has been said before by a previous speaker on uh, filthy French. <laughs> <laughs> I will not confirm or deny <laughs> what has been said. <laughs> What I can tell you is that there are two things that the French don't like in their speeches. The first one is wit. Now, I don't know if you know this about our former president, uh, President Hollande, but he's actually a hilarious person. He's very funny. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> he makes a lot of jokes. They're always on point, always very funny. Yet his advisors told him, and this is a true story, a lot of people have told him, stop it with the jokes, because they thought it made him less presidential less credible, less legitimate. And I think it was a mistake because jokes are what he had going for him. Um, the second thing that the French don't like in their speeches, and I'll come back to this later, is um, uh, personal stories. So talking about themselves. French, the French don't like to talk about themselves. Uh, now the prime minister I worked for, Manuel Valls, just to give you a brief, brief context, he was the prime minister, he was very popular for a while. Uh, he ran in the primary election, in the, in the in left-wing primary election. Everybody thought he could become the next president after Hollande, and then Macron came along. <laughs> so, um, but Valls has a great personal story. He's Spanish originally, he chose to become French, so he made, he made that decision consciously when he was 18. Um, he didn't go to the, there's one uh, French elite schools that, school that all politicians go to. He didn't go to that school, he, he was, uh, he, he studied history, um, then he moved into the suburbs, he, he became the mayor of a suburban town. Um, he married a primary school teacher who taught in that school. He put his children in those difficult schools instead of choosing the, 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 you know, the typical uh, Parisian elite schools. Uh, he's very cultivated, he's to a large extent self-taught, yet the only thing that ever transpires about him is that he's stiff, he's right-wing, which is not true, and, uh, and a racist, generally. So um, <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good example of how you don't come across at all in your speeches. 
Um, that's how he lost the primary election. That's how I, I, I exactly lost my job. Um, so I did a lot of soul searching and I decided I want to, wanted to become a screenwriter. Um, so what I did was that I told myself that every day I'd take one step in that direction because it's hard to go from speech writing to screen, screenwriting. So I told myself every, every day I'll contact someone or looking into trainings, do one thing every day. And the first thing I did was that I identified that the screenwriter for the show Baron Noir, um, now that's a spoiler because you know I work for that show now, but anyway, that he was also, he also used to be a speechwriter, so he was a speechwriter for Mélenchon, who is uh, our very vocal uh, far left wing um, uh, man in France. So he was a speechwriter for that man about 10 years ago and then became um, a screenwriter himself. So I wrote to him on Twitter and asked him, can we talk about this? And literally the next day, I was talking on the phone with him and he said, well, if you want to become a screenwriter, why don't you come on the show? And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I worked on all of season two. We just finished the shoot about two weeks ago and we're supposed to start working on season three now, which is, uh, which is great. And I found in my experience that screenwriters and speechwriters have a lot of things in common. Um, and I, f I made my piece in particular with two hounding truths the first is that those who write do all the work, always. I know if you've experienced that in your jobs, but when I was a speechwriter, people will come knock on your door and they ask you small favors. So they're like, I have to send the press a three-line three pitch of what the speech is about. What can I write? And you're like, well, you have your speech, you have your phone, maybe you can read the, the, read the speech and then write the three lines yourself. And the same goes, um, with screenwriting, I remember the producer called us um, and he asked us, can you write a summary of what happens in season two that we can s send to the press and everyone who asks. And uh, the screenwriter of Baron Noir, becomes all right up. He's like, well, he's read all the episodes. He knows what happens in season two. Maybe he can take his own 10 fingers and his keyboard and write the summary himself. So he calls up the producer and the conversation goes like this. Hello, Mrs. Jean-Baptiste. I was wondering if maybe you could write the summary for season two, given that you've read all the episodes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, okay. And then he hangs up. Okay, we have to write it. So that's the first thing. <laughs> we always, the bottom line is the speechwriter, the people who write always have to do all the work. The second thing, and I'm sorry to break it to you guys, but I don't think anybody cares about what's written. Um, so people usually don't care about the speeches that are given unless it's a war or unless you're being decorated by someone important. In that case, you're very uh, honored to have someone talk about you. But mostly when you give speeches, nobody cares. And it's also true when you make uh, a movie, I don't know, but a show. Uh, I was impressed to see that nobody really cares about the scenario. Um, so the, our main actor, he has no idea what goes on in the show. In the show. He's not very interested in politics at all. So every time uh, he shoots a scene, before the scene, he comes up to me and he asks, so what's happening in the scene? And I try to break it, because it's very political, it's very technical, so I try to break it down to him in very simple terms. So I tell him, well, the president, who's left-wing, is trying to, make an, to come to an agreement with the center party, but in order for that agreement to come to, to, to effect, um, the president has to validate that agreement in the left-wing party and you're trying to make that fail because blah, blah, blah. And he stares at me blankly and he's like, I have no idea what you're saying. 
And then the director comes and the director tells him, okay, you're sad, you're happy, you have a lot of cunning. And the, <laughs> and the actor, because he's a great actor, he's actually very good at that show, this is all off the record, obviously. <laughs> he, he, he gives the happy, he gives the sad, he gives the cunning, but he has no idea what he's saying. And when the director comes to me and asks me, so what's happening in this scene, I tell him, um, uh, it's the same, I tell him, well, you have to call a lot of, lot of MPs because the majority is very unstable, so you don't know if you'll have the votes, so you, you have to convince them, and he stares at me, he listens to me very politely, and then he says, but are they sitting down or standing up? <laughs> <laughs> because we live in a world of image and body language, and I think of, our, of us, I think of myself and probably of all of you guys as activists, trying to rehabilitate the written word because we believe in the power of the written word and we especially believe in the power of the written word that is meant to be read out loud as, it, as is the case in speeches and screenwriting. But in order for that to happen, we have to reach out to our audi audiences um, and in that respect I have learned very valuable lessons from screenwriting which I wish I'd known as a speechwriter but it's okay because I'll share them with you guys now. Um, I'll try not to, re to repeat what was said in the seminar with John York yesterday. I don't know if John York is still here. No? Okay, so I can't repeat. <laughs> so the first lesson that I learned, and I covered this already, is work on your opening anecdotes. Um, in screenwriting, I don't know if you guys have seen the show The West Wing, but the first episode, the first sequence is uh, Rob uh, sleeps with a call girl, which he only realizes in the morning because they switch pagers. This was the golden age of the pagers. Um, and he goes to the chief of staff and tells him, I accidentally, I accidentally slept with a prostitute. And the chief of staff says, well, did you trip or something? <laughs> so this is great opening material, not necessarily something you can use in your speeches, but still something you can keep in mind. And I realized that people uh, here, I realized it's in Oxford last time as well, tend to, to use those anecdotes. So this is mostly addressed to French speechwriters, which I'm the only one here. <laughs> so I'll switch to the second lesson, um, which is uh, give your characters or your clients or your the pol politicians you write for, give them some flesh. Now, Guy, I'm still not talking about zombies. <laughs> Private joke from seminar yesterday. Um, I find that uh, good shows, the, the shows I watch on TV, the ones that I, I like, are the ones that have good secondary characters. Um, I love The Office, not just for, if anyone watches The American Office, not because, just because of Jim and Pam and Dwight and Michael, but also because I love Phyllis and I love Oscar and I even love Creed. Um, as the same goes for speech writing. Um, now, a lot of politicians, like I said, tend to shy away from saying anything personal. I think it's a mistake and I think it's our job to tell them. I have uh, many anecdotes on this. I have a friend who's the speechwriter to uh, a city mayor, the city of Nantes, the mayor of the city of Nantes in, in France. And that's a, a woman, the mayor, with a great story. She's 38, she's very young. She has two children, she's a working woman. And the speechwriter tells her, we have to use that. It's good, you're, you're a likable person, you have a great story. So what we can do is maybe you tell me a lot of anecdotes and I can work up a bank of anecdotes that I can work into the speeches. And the mayor said, I hear you, I know it, you're right, I know it's a good idea, but I don't want to do it. 
And um, I had the same experience as a freelance speechwriter. I recently wrote a speech for the CEO of a French um, infrastructure roadwork company <coughs> called Eurovia. And, um, and he was talking to engineering students. So I told him, don't make it too formal. Make it about yourself. That's what they want to hear. And he, his immediate reaction was to kind of uh, back off and he was like I don't want to talk about my personal life and I said well don't talk about your personal life it doesn't have to be about your wife and children but um, tell your story of the company tell them why you entered that company Eurovia when you were a student fresh out of college and you stayed there for 30 years but that's what people want to hear not that Eurovia is all about innovation um, prevention and international openness about its values, about the digits it made in 2017. But what's your story with Eurovia? Um, so what I'm trying to say to clients is um, tell your story, tell your audience who you are. Um, and the reverse is also true, which is don't try to lie about who you are uh, because it sounds phony and it usually doesn't work. Um, the third lesson is um, Try to think of a twist, of an element of surprise. Um, if you're wondering how you can translate Sixth Sense, Shutter Island style surprise endings into speeches, how you can move your speech towards uh, what's unexpected, well, the first step is to stay away from what is expected. And I know that you guys already do this, uh, but stay away from jargon, from set sentences, from empty concepts that you just throw around. Um, it's true, um, in France, I don't know if it's true in other languages, but it probably is. We have uh, words that I use, speech fillers, that people will put in speeches, they don't mean anything. We have co-construction, every speech by, by local, someone who's uh, locally elected, he will talk about co-construction. We have agility, so the government has to be agile, companies have to be agile, so not regulate too much. These words don't really mean anything. Um, it also goes for general concepts. Um, I have a story in mind of when a, a, a French uh, woman MP was attacked while she was on the market. She was like violently hit. And the people who tweeted about this, their immediate reaction was on violence and democracy and there is no excuse for violence in a democracy, blah, blah. And I think that those concepts actually keep you from showing any real empathy. Uh, but we've talked about empathy before. So if you're not inspired, if it doesn't inspire you any gut reaction, then don't tweet. Don't, don't give any reaction, it's okay. Um, and the same goes for tweets such as, I'm breaking ground for this new retirement home, or I'll be speaking on channel five. Um, all my tweet, tweet line is basically this. <laughs> so um, if you're not inspired, don't tweet. Nobody cares. And if you want people to care, then make it interesting. Uh, fourth lesson, uh, there's five altogether, so you guys, you guys know where I'm standing. Uh, understandable wins over precise. Um, in screenwriting, this means that uh, keep the plot simple. I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but I hate it when I don't understand a subplot. It bothers me for hours on end. I don't know if you've seen the movie called The Nile Hilton Incident. Very good movie. Uh, the Le Caire Confidentiel, Cairo Confidential in French. It's a good, it's a murder story that's set in Cairo. The main character is really good. The, the, the setting, the whole Cairo atmosphere is also very good. One of the best movies I've, I've seen this year. 
But in the end, I still didn't get why the woman got shot. <laughs> so I kept asking people, have you seen this movie? And everyone's like, it's great. Like, so why did she get shot? And we're like, it's true. <laughs> so yeah, so that's, I hate it when that happens. Same goes for speeches, you're looking for clarity. Um, I don't know if you guys interact with technical staff a lot. I'm sure you do. Um, experts, specialists, microeconomists. I don't like them very much. <laughs> and uh, usually what happens, or what happened to me, is that I would call them with a simple question. So my question would be, you told me that 20, people, 20, um, 20 million French people had a tax deduction. Uh, there are 60 million French people. So can I say that one in three will have a tax deduction? And their answer is usually, uh, well, not exactly, because it depends on the fiscal year you're talking about. And really, we don't know, because it's all in retrospect, so we don't really know what's going to happen next year. So rather stay away from that when you can't say instead. And then, then they add um, three lines, 30 seconds, and they make the speech 30 times as boring. Um, and when they write talking points, they think the fancier, the better. This is false. Um, write sentences that can be read out loud, be simple, uh, find the speech equivalent to boy meet girl, and then stay on message. <laughs> um, my last lesson um, is play with it a little. A little. Um, I used a lot of anecdotes in my speech. I, I noticed that a lot of people used a lot of anecdotes in their speeches before. All the ones I used are true, except for one. I'll let you guess which one. Um, and I think it's okay, because what could be true is more important than what is true. Uh, all people want to hear is a good story. This doesn't apply to all situations in life, <laughs> although probably does. Um, all people want to hear is a good story, so just enjoy yourself. Now, the French, I told you that we don't like uh, wit or personal stories. There, are, there is one thing that we do like, it's structure, it's being organized. We have the Cartes, we have the Cartesian mind. Um, I personally enjoy uh, realm numbers and symmetry, so I also thought of two alternate endings. Um, the first one is, um, I told you today what speechwriters can learn from screenwriters, but it would also be interesting to wonder what can screenwriters learn from speechwriters. So maybe that's something that you guys can think about for the, uh, where is it, Cambridge? <laughs> the Cambridge conference in April. Um, the second thing is, what, uh, is there something that speechwriters cannot learn from screenwriters? And I, th I thought of uh, a sentence, I think it was Chekhov, who said, if you plant a gun in a story, there is a moment in the story where the gun will have to be fired. Well, that doesn't really apply to speechwriters. If you have a gun, please don't use it. <laughs> Thank you.